0: Yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah in Isaiah 28 verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk, and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study. And let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Acts chapter 23, and uh, people claim they want the truth, but they really don't, and they really can't handle it. They have another agenda. And here we see the Apostle Paul on trial, and certainly leading up to his trial in uh, Rome, which is why Luke has written this uh, second volume, to help Theophilus understand everything that led to Paul being on trial in Rome. But let's continue in chapter 23 and see um, how this desire for truth is really a farce and uh, we're working with people who have really no desire for truth but actually have another agenda we'll begin in chapter 23 with first with a a word of prayer heavenly father we thank you and praise you and ask lord that you would bless our study once again we're just so grateful to you father that we can go through these uh, scriptures and, and come to a deeper and a richer understanding and we certainly pray father that you'll bless our study tonight in jesus name amen We left off last time, and I should mention um, for this study, and I think for the rest of the Book of Acts, I'm going to switch to the New King James Version. I just find that there's a lot of action taking place in these uh, final chapters, and the story moves very quickly. And I think the the, uh, King James, sometimes the language is just a bit clumsy. Uh, I personally prefer the King James. I find it a more accurate translation for most of the time. But I think for the the type of narrative that we're getting into now, uh, the New King James is preferable. So that's what I'll be using. Now last time we covered chapter 22, when uh, Paul uh, was defending himself, and he started to explain to the Jewish uh, brethren everything that he had been through. And it was when he mentioned that he was turning to the Gentiles that that's when they, they actually really lost it and wanted to kill him for that. And there's something that I should have brought out there, so let's just quickly review that. Acts uh, 20, 22, and in verse uh, 21, when he says that this this uh, God spoke to him and said, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentile." So he thought that he was suited to bring the gospel message to the Jews because no one better understands where they're coming from than Paul because he was such an enemy to the way. Uh, But Christ instead said, nope, they're not gonna listen to you, you need to leave, and I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. And then in chapter 22, uh, they listened to him up until this word, they were very silent, they were listening to him, he was speaking to them in Hebrew, they were listening very carefully until he said Gentiles. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he is not fit to live simply because he said he was going to go to the gentiles that actually is an echo certainly if theophilus is reading this and he read volume first started with volume one he would immediately think of christ and that's what um luke is doing here is showing the legitimacy of paul's ministry and how it is really rooted in christ and we we call this study the acts of the holy spirit it's really the acts of jesus christ that we see everything that he did in volume one And then in heaven, he now has a body on earth, and he continues to work through that body, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Theophilus is seeing that the way Paul is behaving, the way he's carrying out his ministry, is really the way Christ carried out his ministry when he was on earth. If you remember in Luke 4, it says here, he said to them, he was reading the the scripture, and they wanted him to uh, minister to them in Capernaum. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. In other words, you're now in your own country. You're now with your own people. Do the miracles here. So he says, you will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. So now you're in your own country. Do the miracles here. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That they seem to have a problem if you, if you come from them. They have a, to have familiarity breeds contempt is the saying. And Christ is saying something similar here. No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, or for three and a half years, there was no rain, there was a drought. And there were many widows who suffered as a result right there in Israel. And there was a great famine as a result throughout all the land. But to none of those widows was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So he was sent to a Gentile woman, even though there were many uh, widows in Israel who were suffering from this drought and from this famine. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except naaman the syrian who was also a gentile so all those in the synagogue when they heard these things and again is the the, the the word that really uh disturbs them is the fact that god has a ministry or or has mercy on the gentiles and and even be putting them before uh, the 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 nation of israel so when they heard these things <clears throat> verse 28 of luke 4 So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with anger. That just didn't sit well with them. Same thing that we saw with Paul. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. So they physically thrust him out of the city, treating him violently. And they led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built. So it's overlooking a a valley, and they're, they're on this hill now. And that they might throw him down over a cliff. So you can imagine the kind of hatred that they had simply because he's reading the scriptures and he's interpreting the scriptures for them and showing them that this isn't new. This is something that's right. So they want him to do miracles in, in his own country, but he's not going to. And they say, well, you should, you should do the miracles in your own country. Well, Elisha was in his own country. Elijah was in his own country, but they didn't do the miracles there. They went out and they did miracles to Gentiles. And this just rubbed them the wrong way to the point where they were willing to kill or they wanted to kill Christ. And so Theophilus is understanding now, wow, these people are devils. And even though they might be uh, dressed up in religious garb, the fact that they would fight against the Son of God and want to kill him, then it's no surprise that if they're going to kill the Son of God, it's no surprise if they're going to kill his servants. And so Theophilus, having read, uh, I think, I think Theophilus viewing the ministry of Paul through the lens of volume one, the gospel according to Luke, he would just see this very clearly. He, now he sees very clearly what Paul is up against and why his ministry is legitimate and how he should defend him. So let's now go into Acts uh, chapter 23. and We'll just pick up the story now in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So Paul has been very earnest. Before before Christ, he understood the law, and he followed the law. And so he had a clear conscience. When he was struck down and realized that he was actually fighting against God, he repented and continued to have a clear conscience. He did what his conscience uh, motivated him to do and kept a clear conscience. And so he tells them, I have lived with a good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, so when the high priest heard this, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. How dare you say that? You're, you're, you're opposing us, and you're saying you're living in good conscience toward God? That's impossible, because we are the righteous people. We are the people who represent God. And you're opposing me, the high priest, and you're saying you're living with a good conscience? So he causes him to be struck on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Wow. So, a whitewashed wall is something that appears righteous, it appears pure, but there's filth behind it. It hasn't been cleaned, it's just a cover up. And so, Paul insults him by telling him very clearly, You are a whitewashed wall. You're pretending to be something that you're not. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck? contrary to the law? In other words, there's nothing that I've done that I'm guilty of. And you certainly haven't established my guilt, and yet you're going to strike me before proving my guilt. So I stand before you, an innocent man, and you're striking me. And, and then you, you you want to uh, judge me according to the law when you're breaking the law? You whitewashed wall. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest the high priest is really standing in the place of god for the the uh, nation of israel for judah and he's representing god to judah and you're going to revile him then paul said i didn't know brethren that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people so paul really knows the law and he really follows the law circumspectly and here he, he reviled the high priest, and you know he's, he's been away from, from, from the, the, this area for years. He's been out doing his ministry. He comes back. He may not be aware of who the high priest is. Perhaps the high priest wasn't in his uh, priestly garments. He wasn't dressed up to clearly identify him as a high priest. And he certainly wasn't behaving as a high priest. You know, A high priest should be familiar with every part, point in the law and shouldn't be striking an innocent man. So perhaps if the high priest actually behaved like a high priest, then Paul would be able to identify him, but the way he was behaving, Paul must have just thought that he was just another one of these accusers. So he he apologizes and says he did he didn't know that he was the high priest. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, so now he's understanding the makeup of the audience here and realizing that they're split down the middle, one are Sadducees, the other Pharisees. So there's a division here. He cried out in the council, men and brethren. So he perceived that, okay, there's Pharisees and Sadducees. I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. So here we know that the uh, Pharisees were, were really lay people and they were very much of the people and very concerned with all of the texts, the, the Torah, as well as the prophets and the, and the wisdom literature. They fully embraced it, and they were very uh, circumspect regarding all the scriptures. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were really representatives of the Roman government, and they were really a political arm of the Roman government over Judah. And they didn't care about the prophets and the writings. They did, they did give honor to the Torah, but they were very um, secular. So really anything spiritual, anything that is uh, in any way not the here and now, they were not interested in. And so they had no belief in the resurrection. I, I don't even know if they believed in God. Uh, they were, certainly had no belief in angels, anything supernatural they rejected. It was all about the here and now. They were very wealthy people, very powerful politically, uh, politically powerful people. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees for that reason did not get along and so Paul spotting that there's a a split in the audience here he appeals to the Pharisees and says look I'm a Pharisee and I'm the son of a Pharisee and the reason I'm being tried here and being judged is simply because I believe in the resurrection of the dead which all Pharisees believe in and when he had said this a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided so Paul understood that this really would uh, uh, sort of raise indignation among the Pharisees. For the Sadducees Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. They believe in angels and they believe in the resurrection. Then there arose a loud outcry. And the scribes of the Pharisees party arose and protested saying, we find no evil in this man. So we have not seen anything evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, so again, they believe in the angels and spirits, the spirit world. So if an angel or a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So it's possible that he has some knowledge that the rest of us don't have. And if that's the case, let us not fight against God. Let's just let this thing play out. The Sadducees, of course, don't believe that that's even remotely possible because they don't believe in any spiritual dimension to life. So he says here, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, this really caused a huge issue among this this mixed crowd, the commander fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces. So this is something that was very, very serious. And and the commander's concerned now that they're going to kill him fearing lest Paul be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the barracks. So they had to go in there. The soldier, this is really serious. Uh, this is a Roman citizen. These people are going to kill him. They need to go in and, and get him out. So they, force, uh, they forced their way in and they're able to pull him out and bring him to the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. So so God now encourages Paul. He real, his, his life is on the line. These people are, are just foaming at the mouth. They're seething. They completely want to destroy him. That's very obvious. Now God encourages him in the night. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you've done that against incredible opposition, in the same way, you must also bear witness at Rome. So now Paul knows firsthand from Christ himself that he's not gonna die in Jerusalem and that he needs to bear witness of Christ as Messiah, the risen God in Rome. So now he has this knowledge. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath. And we're gonna gonna learn in a bit that there's 40 of these men. They bound themselves, and an oath in Judaism is very serious. You need to pause and consider before you swear an oath, because once you swear it, you have to fulfill it. So they bound themselves from an oath uh, with an under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they have killed Paul. So they've now bound themselves under this oath that they'll neither eat nor drink till they have killed Paul. Now there were more than forty. Who had formed this conspiracy, so so Paul now gets the message that they're not going to they're not going to be successful killing him in, in in Jerusalem or Capernaum where he is. Uh, he's going to he's actually Jerusalem. He's going to go to Rome. Now these men, 40 of them, are binding themselves to a hunger strike. I guess they think this is going to be a short work. The next morning they'll kill him. You have to take your oaths very seriously. So I don't know what happened to these 40 men if they just died of starvation, or if they broke their oath and lost all their, their respect of the community, who knows? But in any case, they, they hate Paul. These are evil men. And Theophilus is reading this through the lens of the first volume, seeing Christ's ministry, and he's reading this, and he understands these are the, people, these are the devil's people, the devil's children. These are very evil men. They, they have all the righteous garb, you know, the long beards and the gowns and the turbans and all, but they've got the heart of demons. And so they want to kill Paul. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him, before he comes near. it, I mean, it's clear that there's no guilt here. He has not been proven guilty. He's an innocent man. He's not proven guilty. Uh, and yet they wanna just destroy him. So uh, easy work So you just pretend that uh, you wanna inquire of him further, get him down to us, we'll take care of the rest. So in Paul's sister's son, so remember he grew up in Jerusalem, and so his family is here, uh, his, uh, his sister's son, his nephew, he heard of this ambush. And it's just, again, God encouraged him that you're not going to die here. And so God just orchestrated it that his nephew uh, heard overheard this ambush. He went and entered the barracks and he told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink until they have killed him and now they are ready waiting for the promise from you so the commander let the young man depart and commanded him tell no one what you have revealed that you have revealed these things to me and he called two centurions so a centurion each one has a hundred soldiers under him he called two of them prepare 200 soldiers 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. So they are, this is a big deal. This is a Roman citizen that these people are gonna kill and there's no way they're gonna kill him under the commander's watch. So he just assembles this massive army, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, all to transport Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea in in the third hour of the night so say around uh 9 p.m something like that and so they're all these jews are going to be waiting for him in the morning thinking that he's going to spend the night there he's not he's he's being whisked away and provide mounts to set paul on and bring him safely to felix the governor so the governor is in caesarea he's got to get paul there Uh, he wrote a letter in the following manner claudius lysias to the most excellent Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him. So, so I, I just did what was right. Here, a Roman citizen, I'm sending him to you, having learned that he was a Roman. So that's a good, you know, brown, brownie points there. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law not roman law but their law but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains so so these jews cannot just kill a roman citizen like this and when it was told me that the jews lay in wait for the man i sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him farewell so that seems like a very um, reasonable thing for this man to do uh, realizing he's, he's dealing with a Roman citizen, he's not sure of the guilt or innocence, but he, he certainly doesn't seem to be guilty of anything worthy of death, so he's not going to allow them to kill him. He sends him to the governor, and he's going to send the accusers to the governor as well, and let the governor decide, and certainly just you know, make it very clear that he saved the man's life, a, a Roman citizen. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, they took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. So I think that seems very fair. So he's got this letter. He realizes this man is in big trouble. There are accusers against him. He's gonna to listen to Paul, but he wants, he wants everybody present. So I'm gonna to listen to you. I'm gonna to listen to your accusers as well. So he, he keeps him overnight in the barracks. Now, after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders. So, so now the high priest makes it. And so he's come to accuse Paul and a certain orator and that that word orator, named, a certain orator named Tertullius, is actually the word um, retoro, where we get the word rhetoric. So I, I guess that's why they translated uh, uh, re- um, orator. But you can see here it's really an advocate, it's a lawyer. So they so they've brought so the high priest has come, and they've come with a skilled rhetorician, a skilled orator, a skilled lawyer who can really lay the charges out against Paul. They're not kidding. So they realize this is high stakes now. It's gone to the governor. Uh, they can't afford to miss. So they bring. So it's not just the high priest now. He's coming with this this uh, advocate, this this lawyer named Tertullus, who's who's a skilled rhetorician. And, and rhetoricians at this time uh, were very uh, in demand. Uh, they they were skilled. They they could make anybody believe anything basically. They were skilled in the in the art of persuasion. And that's what they did. And if you hired them, they would teach you how to persuade anybody of anything. So they really had their reputation around their ability to persuade anybody about anything. And so this is a particular skilled one named Tertullus, Tertullus who is uh, going to present the case against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus, began his accusation. So this is, it took them five days to get there. They probably had to really lay everything out to Tertullus. And so he can now explain it to the governor saying, seeing that through you, we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. So good rhetorician, you know, always butter them up first, flatter them, get them on you, get them feeling good so that whatever follows, they're more likely to accept it. So you, you're just a wonderful person, and we enjoy great peace from you, and you know we're, we're enjoying prosperity because of your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear, by your courtesy, a few words from us, for we have found that this we have found this man a plague a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by, and with great violence took him out of our hands. So Felix has heard one version of the story uh, from Lysias. And now he's getting this other version of the story. So from Lysias' version of the story, uh, these guys just wanted to kill this Roman citizen, and he had to rescue them. Now from Tertullus' version of the story, uh, Lysias is the, is the culprit that you know, he was a, he's, a, he's a plague and just a, dis- a dissenter, and they wanted to take care of him, but Lysias intervened and interfered. The, the commander Lysias came by and with great violence. Took him out of our hands. You can imagine the force of these 200 soldiers and foot, uh, uh, horsemen and, and uh, the, the, the force that they had to come in, 470 people to, to rescue Paul. And it says here commanding his accusers uh, to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. So we have the truth here. And you just need to examine him, and you'll see that our version of the story is the correct version, whatever Lysias may have told you. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that all that these things were so. So all the Jews that are there, they all agree, yeah. Uh, Tertullus has outlined this case very clearly. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, he answered, and and he says this, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. So I'm happy to answer for myself because I know that you're an informed judge. You, you have, you've tried these kind of cases before. You understand something of, of the Jewish law. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd so if what they're saying is true how is it that when i came 12 days ago i wasn't creating any dispute with anybody i wasn't in the temple debating with anybody i wasn't inciting a crowd Uh, there's there's nothing that i I just came to fulfill my obligations as a jew in the temple and i I am following the, the jewish customs and laws So, he says here, uh, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogue or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, this is what I did, that according to the way, and that's what Christianity was called at the time, the way, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, and so they were following the way, which they call a sect, according to the way so i worship the god of my fathers i'm worshiping the god of my fathers believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets and you know I, I find this an amazing statement by the apostle paul and i think that many of the traditional christians who believe that paul came to do away with the law and and people who accuse paul of having pauline theology which is the opposite of Christ's theology uh, this is crazy. Here Paul is on trial for his life. And and anything he says that is to be found untrue, he, he's instantly put to death. And so he's defending himself. And what does he say here? He says, it makes it very clear. That here, here's what I confess to you. Here's what I've done. According to the way which they call a sect, that's how I worship the God of my fathers. Believing everything that is written in the law And in the prophets, I haven't thrown the law away. I haven't thrown the prophets away. In fact, I embrace it fully. And I believe everything that's there. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So there's going to be a resurrection of the just, but there's also going to be a a resurrection of the unjust. And I know this. And I'm doing all I can to be in the resurrection of the just. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. So there's this notion that you know Pauline theology, throw out the law, do whatever you want, uh, just believe in Christ, and that's it. That doesn't come from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is very clear that he realizes there is going to be a resurrection, and in that resurrection, people are going to be judged according to the law. And so he is very aware of the the law and the prophets, and he follows it with a clear conscience. That's Pauline theology. Now, after many years, so again, Paul is teaching repentance, uh, but when you repent and you believe in God, you don't just go back and do whatever you like. So he's very clear. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. So remember, he knew that there was gonna be a famine in Jerusalem, and so he was out there collecting uh, charity, from the Gentile churches to bring it to Jerusalem. And so that's what he was doing. So after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple. And this really uh, echoes again Christ saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his own nation, in his own country. And again, where he cried out to Jerusalem, you know, he sends prophets to Jerusalem, they kill them all. And, and holy men. and here's a holy man in Jerusalem, uh, actually in Caesarea now. But they want to just dis- the Jews are coming to Caesarea to destroy him. So his own people, it's just absolutely amazing that these people are under Roman oppression, and they're looking for a savior, and the Messiah has come. he didn't come in the, on the terms and conditions that they were looking for, but he has come to save them from Roman oppression. They put him to death paul continues with the messiah's work they, they want to put him to death as well so here we go so he says now after many years i came to bring alms and offerings to my nation in the midst of which some jews from asia found me purified in the temple neither with a mob nor with tumult so he was going all through asia preaching the gospel uh it looks like it's uh he was trying to get to jerusalem for pentecost Looks like these others were coming to Jerusalem for Pentecost as well. And so these Jews from Asia, they found him. They they recognized him. They saw him uh, purifying himself. He had taken a vow and he was with the other four men, completing that vow and purifying themselves in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. He was just going about his worship peacefully. That's what he came to Jerusalem to do. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. So if there was an issue 12 days ago, they should have been the first ones to come to you. Not, not I shouldn't have be here first and then they're coming afterward. Or else let those who are here themselves say, if they have found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. So that's what caused the tumult uh, earlier when the when the the Sadducees and the Pharisees were were gathered. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, so so he had some understanding of 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 Judaism as well as the way. He adjourned the proceedings and said, "When Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case." So first he wanted to hear what the accusers had to say. He wanted to hear uh, what Paul had to say. And now he's saying he wants to hear what Lysias has to say as well. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So you can sort of see uh, an empathy that that Felix has towards Paul. He has some understanding of the way. And uh, so Paul has to stay in custody, but he wants him to have freedom. And, and let the brethren visit him, and if they need to bring food or anything for him, don't, don't forbid it. So Paul now is, uh, he's, on, he's still in custody, but he has some level of liberty here. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewish, uh, a Jew, who was Jewish, he, said, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So now he, he wants to hear about this faith that he has in Christ. Now as he reasoned, so Paul is now telling him what it means to follow the way. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, um, um, go away for now. When I have a conven- convenient time, I-, I will call for you. So So Felix was interested But really not that interested because Paul is just really uh, just authentic here and saying this is what this means and this is what's gonna happen to evil people and this is what's gonna happen to people who can't control their appetites and 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 so Felix is hearing this and probably his his conscience is is starting to torture him so he sends Paul away meanwhile and you can get a sense here of his, his character as well he also hoped that money Would be given to him by Paul that he might release him. In other words, he was open to being bribed. And probably while he's talking to Paul, he's probably dropping all these hints that, you know, for a little bit of money, uh, or if your friends could help you, you know, because I'm really making sure that your friends can have access to you. So, you know, if you talk to them and you do a little uh, uh, roundup and and gather some money here, and, you know, maybe for a few thousand dollars, uh, I would be able to help you out. And so Paul does not respond. To this uh, temptation to bribery so he was hoping that he'd be bribed by paul so he could release him therefore he sent for him more often and conversed with him and again dropping hints and letting him know there's a way out here but after two years so paul has been in prison now for two years porcius festus succeeded felix or felix so felix has now come to the end of his term and now festus takes over and felix wanting to do the jews a favor left paul bound so i suppose he could have made a decision he could have released paul but now he's going to be mingling with the jews and paul wasn't uh, going to be giving him any money so he makes sure that he does a favor to the jews so that he's in good standing with them and now festus now takes over now when and so it's two years now that paul has been under arrest here now when festus had come to the province after three days He went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul and they petitioned him so you can still you can see the level of hatred here so first of all it took you know 470 men to transport Paul away from Jerusalem up to Caesarea now it's been two years you would think that you know get over it move on get on with your life no two years later they are still filled with this intense hatred toward Paul. And they're now petitioning the new governor against Paul. They petitioned him asking a favor against Paul that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So, so again, another plot. I don't know what happened to the other 40 or so men that were on a hunger strike until they killed him, but it's been two years now. Uh, So I'm not sure what happened to them. But now they're saying, bring him to Jerusalem. And before he even gets to Jerusalem, we're going to ambush him and kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going back there shortly. So he's not willing to bring him to Jerusalem. He should be kept at Caesarea. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So the trial will take place in Caesarea. You have something against him. Come with me to Caesarea. We'll do the trial there. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he then went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought to him. So now Paul is commanded to be brought to him. And when he had come, The Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. So again, they don't care about the truth. They just want to kill this man. They just want to put an end to him, destroy him. The same hatred that they had for Christ, the devil is working in these same people. Or or working in these people. It's the same devil working in these people. So there are all kinds of complaints and accusations against Paul, but there's no proof. While he answered for himself... Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So that's just wonderful. Paul is in a position where he can say, I've done absolutely nothing wrong. I haven't broken the Jewish law. I haven't broken any of the customs of the temple, and I haven't broken any Roman laws. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, so somehow the Jews have this sway, where the governor needs to lead them and rule over them in a way where they get along. It's a kind of give and take. And so here he wants to do them a favor. He answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? In other words, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Jews, I'll send them to Jerusalem. And then you can carry out your plan there. And and you know, don't say I didn't do you any favors. So Paul, very wise now, and again he had uh, Christ speak to him and encourage him that he would not be killed in Jerusalem. That at the same way he bore witness for Christ in Jerusalem, Christ now wants him to bear witness in Rome. And so now Theophilus is reading this and coming to understand how it is that Paul comes to Rome to be tried. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. So I'm a Roman citizen. I, I, I'm gonna pull my Roman card, my, my Roman citizenship card, and I wanna be judged by Caesar. I have, I have that right and I'm going to ask for that. So, so rather than subject myself to, to these uh, Jews who are just uh, really uh, eager to kill me, he's saying, I don't want that. I stand at, at uh, Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged to the Jews I've done no wrong as you very well know for if I am offender if I am an offender or I've committed anything deserving of death I don't object to dying I'm I'm willing to die if I've earned the death penalty I don't object but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me no one can deliver me to them not even you Festus so so don't try to, to send me to Jerusalem I'm unwilling to go. No one can force me to go there. So I am going to appeal to Caesar. And so we just continue here. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Okay, so he just had to kind of confer with his council and see what to do here. Does he force him to go to Jerusalem? Well, that's not going to end well for Festus when a Roman citizen says he wants to go to Caesar. And so, now, in a sense, he's going to the Supreme Court and after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days. Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, "There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him To them, I answered. It is not the custom of Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself according to the charges against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the men to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, things that I thought would be worthy of the death penalty." but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And that's again, Paul's whole, whole thrust was the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that that's how he is the Messiah to Israel. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged according to these matters. And that's again, uh, a fair Uh, a fair assessment that if these, if these are religious matters, uh, why not go to the religious center and, and be judged there? So that's, that's what he had asked. You want to go to Jerusalem uh, to be judged there concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept until I can send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. So, so the king now wants to hear this. Uh, this is the king over uh, Judah under the uh, Roman authority. Uh, Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the king now wants to hear this. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, so this is now the king and Bernice, uh, they entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I had found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. So again, another opportunity now for, for Paul to be sentenced to death, uh, if the king so, so if saw fit, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. And I think, so that's the end of chapter 25. I I think what I'll do is I'll I'll end there and then we'll pick up the story uh, next week in chapter 26, uh, where now it's up to uh, King Agrippa to see how does he judge this matter uh, with the apostle Paul. So uh, hopefully you're just really seeing the story flow where now uh, Luke is really picking up the pace and, and really now helping Theophilus to fully understand how it is that Paul is now on trial or is about to be on trial Uh, in rome and so he's able to now prepare his defense for paul so i think what we'll do next week we'll pick it up in in chapter 26 and we'll actually see how paul gets transported to rome and then how his trial uh how he then gets uh, treated once he's in rome